or you know, if you want to go for a run, just hit me up. Always go for runs along East Coast Park. Really? Can we actually? Do you, you're encouraging people to stalk you at East Coast Park. Well, East Coast Park is a very crowded place. It, it, it certainly <laughs> is. But yes. then if they recognize you, then they be like, Anthony jogs alongside you. Maybe I don't actually Can jog there. Can you give me a free, free lock? <laughs> well, I love to give locks to many people who want to start businesses and you know try things out because i think the spirit of entrepreneurship as you pointed out right at the beginning of the podcast is really about creating impact and i think that if uh, more people are going to this i think uh, i would love to be of help you're listening to the building financial fitness podcast the show where personal finance is about the person not just the numbers Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. So our topic today is about the good, the bad, and the realities of entrepreneurship. And today we have Anthony Chow in the house, CEO and co-founder of Igloo Company, an access management company that creates smart locks and lock boxes for the easy management of houses, properties, and infrastructure. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Junus. So you clearly have come a long way since launching six years ago. I think I met you when you first started with yep. Igloo. And you guys have grown. Like Igloo Company now has a global presence with nine offices around the world. One in London, UK, one in Austin, Texas, in the US. So and your solutions have also received endorsement from the IMDA's accreditation at SG program in Singapore for its innovation and also feature on CNBC, CNA, Channel News Asia, Wall Street Journal and more. In three words, how has this six-year journey been for you? Definitely, I would say that it's highly challenging. A lot of things that you don't expect when you're running a business. Very rewarding as well. A lot of people that you meet, customers that you touch, and most importantly, a lot of growth personally and professionally. So it's quite a balanced view because I guess like challenging, you know, when we talk about challenging, that's sort of like the... Yeah, no, I think like there are a lot of things that you can control and things that you can't control, right? When you're running a business, things that you don't really think about when you start running a business like financial, you know, uh, prudence. Um, and I think that especially the past two and a half years have really taught us this whole COVID situation really came out from the left field. And in fact, now there's a Ukraine war and, you know, things go on every day that you don't expect. Well, what you want to do is to really plan for the best while you're trying to run the business, but you prepare for the worst and challenges will come your way. Lah. You know, I think that one of the interesting things that one of our investors shared with us at the beginning when they invested in us was to say that, you know, are you a team that can run through brick walls? And we said, yes, you know, yeah. And I think we didn't really knew that he meant it literally at the point in time. But, you know, I think we had ran through so many brick walls, you know, and I think we continue to do so, trying to stay alive. Because I think, you know, if, you know, for anyone who, like, for social media these days, like entrepreneurs, especially tech entrepreneurs, are sort of lauded as the superstars in, in our generation, right? Largely because of two things, because of the impact done via their companies and also the wealth that's generated for shareholders, right? And I mean, like, Jeff Bezos was like said that you know Amazon is a, a billion dollar company and then he he owns 16 percent of it and basically he generated 840 million dollars of wealth for for everybody else and it is sort of increasingly viewed as an exciting way to make money make a difference and live life to the fullest but despite all the much publicized success 
stories out there, which we often see with like Forbes 30 under 30, 40 under 40, all that. There are a lot more failures when the romance of entrepreneurship gives way to reality. And I'm sure we know about what the failure rate is versus success rates. So what made you start your own company beyond facing, you know, the story of the frustrations of inconvenience of physical key exchanges when you're living in Airbnb? Why we started was really because of those frustrations. I came back from the US. I'm an Airbnb user. So wherever I travel in the UK, in the US, or wherever around the world, I use Airbnb. But, you know, when I came back to Singapore, I started work. I think one of the things that, you know, we had this spare room in the house. And I felt that it would be nice to continue this Airbnb journey, even though I'm not traveling, but to welcome people to stay. And that was when... You know, we have a full-time job trying to manage a property. It became very challenging because passing keys around is such a pain. Especially keys can go missing. You know, uh, the person might be able to bring the keys back to their country and then you have to change the lock, which is expensive. But at the same time, it was very rewarding and very nice. You get to meet new people. At the same time, you make money from it. And so I was thinking about scaling up my Airbnb properties, you know, taking units and subletting it. And of course, this was before Airbnb became illegal, right? At the point in time, it was still kind of grey. And, uh, you know, we could do it then and make some money. And so that, that, that really was the genesis of this entire idea, right? Trying to figure out how can me and my friends become more smarter Airbnb hosts by designing solutions for ourselves. At the same time, figuring out that, you know, there's, we are not the only ones doing this in the world, right? There's like maybe 2 million, 3 million Airbnb hosts around the world in 2015. And if our solutions can impact us and help us, um, you know, and if we can commercialize this, we can actually help the millions of hosts all around the world. So this felt like a nice thing to do. We weren't really thinking of making a whole bunch of money then, was really solving our own problems. But it felt like something that can impact a lot of people, like you said just now. At the same time, maybe make us some money. So so we started from there. Yeah. But you also had, I guess, you know, that corporate job before starting a glue, right? So how do you kind of like detach yourself from the lure of that monthly salary where it's more comfortable and you are not necessarily thinking about not only feeding yourself, but then all the employees that you employ? I guess for one, I was single. So there's no need to really think about a family at that point in time. Uh, parents. <laughs> yeah, there's parents for sure. Yeah, but you know, I think maybe one of the things that uh, were really drawn to me was, you know, uh, my stint over in the US, right? Over in the Bay Area, where everyone I met, you know, felt that there was something in them that they could create an idea, create a product that could change the world. And, you know, that kind of dream, uh, the American dream, if you can say, or the Silicon Valley dream, you know, really sat upon me. Um, and I, I felt that, is there a need to wait, you know, until I become financially independent to do something or I can start right away? Lah. To be honest, I really wasn't thinking, that it wasn't really one of my foremost uh, worry at that point in time. And I guess one thing that really helped mitigate it, you know, obviously my parents were asking me, like, how am I going to run this, right? So one thing that really helped to mitigate was that at that point in time, we were going around taking part in hackathons and taking part in pitch competitions. And so winning a couple of pitch competitions gave us some money uh, to, to really help us kickstart this whole prototyping, creating solutions, and testing out the initial idea. And when we actually got past the idea testing phase, uh, when we were trying to create a prototype with you know soldering kits, Raspberry Pis, cables, and things like that, we did a simple Kickstarter campaign, right? Uh, where we actually raised a couple thousand dollars so that we could actually get the first couple of units out to our customers. And so that also helped us defray, you know, our you know initial startup cost. Getting into a startup accelerator program also helped where there was, you know, it, it almost kind of reflected, you know, kind of a monthly pay, right? Yeah, over a period of three months where, where you really need to accelerate your go-to-market or, or product-to-market fit very quickly where you still have a little bit of uh, money to sustain yourselves. Um, 
But you know, I think that really fell off quite quickly. Um, after the initial couple of months, you realize that if you want to make this into a business, you need capital, right? Yeah, uh, you, you can't just keep funding it because especially if you're in the hardware space, manufacturing, uh, working with suppliers, supply chain costs is going to add up very, very quickly. So one thing that we did was very quickly, we realized that while we started in the US, every single cost of living there is very expensive. Putting a house together, renting a unit or even like buying food, right? From There's no hawker center there. So everything is expensive. Everything quickly adds up. So we, we told ourselves that one thing that we want to do is to continue to sustain until we get the product right. And we made the move to come back to Singapore, our home country, basically, where our parents are here. We have a place to live and your parents will feed you food. So that really helped us keep our cost base very low. And at the same time, allowing us to quickly iterate on our products before we you know, get the first few uh, shipments out of the door. So it's fair to say that your standard of living was different from the times when you were in Singtel versus... I would say we have to you know, make some sacrifices and compromise. Mm. And I think that's necessary la, you know, if you want to chase certain dreams or something that you want to do. But How I much think, did your expenses reduce by? I think it's hard to put a number, la, but I would say maybe 30-40%. Yeah, I think, you know, instead of drinking every other night, we drink once a week, maybe. <laughs> or, or, you know, instead of going for like nice restaurants, you do your chicken rice on a regular basis, right? The initial group of partners that we put together, all of us were big fans of Airbnb. And our product directly fits into, into that category. And one thing that we really did and in the really beginning was to use our product for our own, you know, ways to generate income. So we, we actually rented this unit over in Stevens Road, uh, Robin Close area as a bungalow. We converted it into like five different rooms and we worked out from the living room and rented out those five units to Airbnb guests who want to stay. So I think on one side, it helps to bring in some income because once you get 70% occupancy rate, you easily have a 50% ROI on whatever you rent. That has a nice steady cash flow for us so that we can throw some, you know, uh, team bonding activities, right? But at the same time, because our engineers were there and we have a grand total of three engineers at the beginning, they literally were able to be next to the customers, seeing how whatever they're building immediately impacted the customer experience because we were receiving Airbnb guests from all around the world. Some of them are like families, some of them are couples, some of them are, you know, working, you know, coming to stay for a month, right? And and so like all of them have different kind of user experience that they need to go through, right? Whether, you know, you're a kid or you're an elderly grandmother, like 80 years old. And so like um, that really helped us redefine or, or define and focus on our customer experience journey. And having the engineers seeing how it's being used has been, has been great lah, at the beginning, yeah. So I think that really helped a lot. And in fact, I think even to today, some of our staff continue to use our products for their Airbnb homes like uh, for example one story I like to tell is actually our head of Europe he's based in London he travels around a lot like I think he's out of his home like 20 days out of 30 days so when he's traveling around he puts a lock on the door and he rents it on Airbnb gives him additional income to supplement whatever he's making yeah so so I think I think it's cool yeah Curious, like why, why do you guys choose um, Stevens Road? Because like, okay, it's, it's, yeah. it's great that you guys, um, you know, thought about getting additional streams of income because, you know, other things might still be coming along. Other revenue streams are still coming along, like B2B contracts are still in negotiation. We are not targeting B2C customers yet, but we know we can get, actually get a 50% ROI. We have 70% occupancy on our Stevens Road unit. But how, how do you guys choose Stevens Road? I mean, like my secondary yeah. school is there, so I'm like, it's an ex- expensive place, right? <laughs> It is, it is, yeah. No, I think we were looking for a unit that's big enough so that we can house 10 people for working 
at a common area like a living room so I think we had a few options to choose from lah. but I think that uh, area was was well, I think it's a bit of fluke lah, that we, we really went about choosing the area and, and the landlord at that point in time was quite open to allow us to do subletting right this was you know many years back right and they he gave us a good deal for for like two years so we picked it and then we rented it and we, we did some calculations because we we all rented on Airbnb before and we knew that um, you know the the best kind of Airbnb guests you want to receive, right? It's not the it's not the couples, it's not the two people because they can go and rent like a nice hotel somewhere and because they have their own travel requirements, right? What you want to do is you want to receive families. Yeah, family of four, family of five. Especially even better if they have a family with elderly and young kids. So they want some place where it's not like a hotel but like three, four rooms that they can stay together. Big kitchen, and, big, yeah, big kitchen room, for food, many cooking. rooms. Exactly, yeah. Mm. So what you want is really a, a unit that has at, at least three bedrooms. Um, to target this kind of uh, customers and those are the ones that will stay for two weeks they can afford to pay a lot more you know for the much more comfort that you can provide and Stevens Road was nice because it's next to MRT and we could say on our Airbnb listing that it is 20 minutes from the airport you know not exactly super near but you know it's still 20 minutes from the airport you know nearer than most other metropolitan cities right nice environment you know, walking distance to maybe Botanic Gardens. So I think we talk a little bit about income generation with the Airbnb side, you know, that side income. But then ever since you kind of like moved from being a regular salaryman, I guess, to an entrepreneur, how do you think differently about one, expenses and two, investments? So the first one, like you said, reducing investments by around 30 or 40%. Any other things when it comes to like, you know, your mindset with regards to like how you allocate capital? Because surely that's something that you think about from a company basis. So how do you think about it from a personal perspective? I think from a personal perspective, I think you tend to need to get a lot more detailed about where you're spending your money. You know, where previously you might just spend, now you kind of track, you know, where your money is going. Is it to grocery, to food, to travel, to your love life, right? You know, and all this and, and your family and everything in between. I think what's important is that as as you embark on this journey, you cannot be living a lifestyle that is way different from where what you're used to unless you're you know so passionate about the idea because you still have to live right at some point people you need to get married you need to have you have your parents get older you need to you care for them so i think one thing that we we also learned earlier on is that uh you know it's, it's important to have this conversation with, with investors that you still need to draw a salary you know you, you won't be drawing like a massive amount of salary like maybe before or somewhere else that you need to be, or you could have drawn from somewhere else, but you can't be drawing too little, you know? Yeah, and I think you need to strike the balance with regards, especially comparing to the company growth uh, and the company stage, so that you you are not too far away from Marketing. living, you know? Yeah, living, yes. yeah. And I think that that is important uh, conversation to have. And we, we learned that actually from some of our earlier investors. And obviously, we try to adjust our salary as we go along. Uh, yeah, obviously, we are not drawing, you know, market rate or whatever that's happening in the market today. But, but you know, we're still, we're still okay, you know. <laughs> and because you mentioned getting married, because back in my VC days, whenever I meet entrepreneurs, especially like male entrepreneurs, it's extremely difficult for them to actually even keep a relationship, let alone even bother to spend on it. So, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Because, because when somebody gets married, that your cost goes up especially if you have children and then that's right that's when uh, people are less likely to take as much risk as well which is why the common tip is to sort of like go out and build your business and do as much as you can on that side before you actually 
settle down and have family. Yeah, I think I think I've heard uh, multiple different advice on that as well. I think that's definitely one that is common. Another one, uh, you know, in the Chinese saying they call it cheng jia li ye, right? So you start with the family first, then you do your business. Yeah, so it's the other way around. So I think family helps to settle you down, uh, especially if you have a supportive wife, right? Uh, that you're able to you know focus on what you need to do. And I think that that is uh, hard to come by lah. So I think is if you find someone that that's good lah. Yeah, along the way, uh, definitely the first couple of years, you know, really just uh, focusing on 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 the business. And maybe I'm lucky to meet a girl that has been rather supportive because of my traveling schedule as well. Right, uh, it's hard to be in one place at one time at any given point in time. And it's good to to have met this girl and got married. You know, so I think uh, so far so good. <laughs> and then from uh, let's say from an investments perspective, mm-hmm. what do you invest in on the side? And do you find yourself to be has your risk taking profile changed? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think at the same time, because being in the tech industry, you tend to read a lot of news about tech, so you tend to want to invest in tech as well. So, <laughs> so I I will say that you know many of my cash, if I have some spare cash, it goes into the public markets. You know, choosing some of the Big tech stock, right? Yeah. So it's like US tech, US which hasn't tech, done yeah. well in the first half of twenty twenty two. Not at all, not at all. So <laughs> I try to avoid looking at my, you know, brokerage app okay. uh, for the past couple of months. Mm-hmm. But I think tech is here to stay. You know, tech is is a long term game. You know, if you're not looking for a quick buck to flip, I think it's okay to stay in it. I'm I'm not in any position to give financial advice, lah. But I think that's uh, somewhere that I I completely believe in. And yeah, I mean, you can put into ETFs. Maybe you're a bit more. You know, conservative in that fashion because it will continue going up. I think. You know, I think other than putting into savings, uh, I put into yeah the big tech stocks uh, Yeah. And then last point, I guess you know, we were talking about income diversification, right? Yep. But I also know you know we talked about this before that you know you personally are hundred twenty percent into the company with no side gigs. How can people like use like Eglum Smart Locks to sort of like earn more money on the side? I think many people. I mean, we are very focused on the sharing economy. Right, our vision is to create a world without keys. So you know, but really, I think it facilitates the entire sharing economy to boom. So uh, many of our customers use our products for running their Airbnb listings. Mm-hmm. But beyond outside that, of Singapore, outside of Singapore, <laughs> yes. But beyond that, we also see many of our customers using it for boutique hotels, or running a car sharing company, or you know, renting out kayaks, renting out tennis courts, or even like for assisted living properties. And I think the use cases. Are only going to inc- is only going to increase because as the world shifts from an ownership model to a rental model and a sharing model, it's a much more sustainable model anyway. And I think a lot of people like it. And so, like in our team, many people also use our products for like renting out like their homes, right? So I think that uh, we are seeing a lot of enterprising entrepreneurs. Maybe they have a fleet of kayaks, right? Especially one example is uh, one of our customers over in Sweden. He owns like a thousand kayaks, so he rented out. Using our products, we see also people building e-mobility companies and then renting it out using our solutions as well, and so on and so forth, lah. You know, or people building lockers and then you know putting a locker at the basement of their house, put our locks on, and then so if anybody needs to drop things off, you know, they can just rent it out for like an hour or two hours. So I think there's a lot of opportunities that our solutions can offer many enterprising entrepreneurs to start any business in the sharing economy. And for people who want to find out about how they can sort of like monetize their current assets, you know, with Igloo Home Locks, right? Where can they go and find more information? So they can come to our website igloocompany.co or igloohome.co. We have an enterprise. 
page called igloworks.co. You can visit that as well. Uh, you can reach out to me, write to me, anthony at igloocompany.co or find me on LinkedIn. Or, you know, if you want to go for a run, just hit me up. Always go for runs along East Coast Park. Really? Can we actually, do, you're encouraging people to stalk you at East Coast Park? Well, East Coast Park is a very crowded place. It, it, it certainly <laughs> is. But yes. then if they recognize you, then they'll be like, Anthony jogs alongside you. Maybe I don't actually jog there. Can you there? give me a free, free lock? <laughs> Well, I love to give locks to many people who want to start businesses and, you know, try things out. Because I think the spirit of entrepreneurship, as you pointed out right at the beginning of the podcast, is really about creating impact. And I think that if uh, more people are going to this, I think uh, I would love to be of help. Yeah. I appreciate that. And thank you for being on today's show. Thank you, Junas. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at nelisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts, or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Skate Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.